0: The sermon text reading this week comes from 1 Samuel 3, verses 1 through 21. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lay down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Pastor Dan, he's one of the three pastors here at Redeemer. He remembers growing up in a church that's very similar to Redeemer, very similar liturgy. And Pastor Dan, when he was a very young boy, he remembers in this service, looking back over his shoulders, and one of the elders of this church that just was filled with beautiful God-centered, word-centered liturgy, one of the elders was completely checked out, about to fall asleep, just staring at the ceiling. You see, th- th- this man was, was physically present. This man was hearing everything that God was saying to him in the service, but he actually was not listening Sarah just read from 1 Samuel chapter 3, at the end of that reading, say, this is the word of the Lord, and then we all stated it together, thanks be to God. We, that's, that's something we say every single week. It may never be the case that we say that just out of tradition or just religious formalism. But we want to say that because we're actually listening, we're actually paying attention to how God is communicating to us each Sunday morning. God has spoken to us, thanks be to God. But imagine coming to a church where there's no Word of God. You, you show up, and there, there's nothing to be said, just silence. There's, there's no way to know God because He has not spoken. That's essentially what the culture was like in these early days of Samuel. The the culture was, was like Dan's former elder as a little boy. Just Even those that were present, they're just checked out, they're not paying attention. And for that reason, God says, I am just going to go silent. God's word in that day was very rare. You see that in verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare. People were not hearing from God. Remember the cultural context that we started for Samuel with, coming off of the judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, because the people had very stubborn hearts, they became like the elder at Dan's church. Stubborn hearts... Mean your ears are closed, people are not listening, and God says, "Okay, you're not going to listen, then I'm not going to speak." God has gone silent. Last week, in, in chapter two, Pastor Demiron preached on this. It's the story of Eli and his wicked sons that gives us a window into just how depraved this time period was. If if your leaders are a good picture, a good representation of what the people are like. If the priests are this wicked, then we know that the people are wicked as well. This is a dark time in the history of Israel. There is a famine of spirituality. And what Israel deserves at this point is to wither away in judgment. They deserve to be separated from God. They deserve to not hear from God again. But here's the beauty of the gospel— God has made a promise, a gracious promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. So no matter how far God's people drift away from God, God, because he has made a promise, is always going to be pursuing his people. Now, it might be that for seasons, God will go silent as a way of disciplining his people But God, by His own promise, cannot go quiet forever. He must speak again because He must redeem a people because that is what He has promised. We break our promises all the time, but God does not break His. And so at the very beginning of 1 Samuel, everything seems very lost and hopeless. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we actually see a few bits of hope that redemption is coming. So think of First Samuel chapter three; it's something like the end of the last Jedi. I know that's the Star Wars movie that, that nobody likes, but think of it in, in, in those terms. There, there's no hope. Kylo Ren's arrived. He has brought the Empire. Even Princess Leia has said, "Ah, there's no hope. The spark of the rebellion has died." But then, out of the blue, Luke Skywalker returns, or the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Narnia is always frozen. It is always winter time and yet it is never Christmas. But then at the end of the lion, the witch in the wardrobe the snow begins to melt because they hear that Aslan is on the move. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, think of it in those terms. Everything's dark, everything's frozen, but there's just a little glimmer of hope that God is on the move. That something is about to happen. It's just a glimpse very faint, but there is a hint. And how is God going to move? God moves when he speaks, and he speaks first only to Samuel. But by the end of the chapter, we see that Samuel is installed as a prophet. So God's voice is starting to get louder, which means something great is about to happen. So really, the focus of this morning is going to be looking at what happens when God speaks. We're going to look at that on two different levels. So two points for this morning concerning God's speech. First, what does it mean when God speaks to you specifically? And then second, and more importantly, what does it mean when God speaks to us, the church, broadly? Point number one, what does it mean when God speaks to you individually? At this point in the story, we see that Samuel has been dedicated to the Lord by his mother. So he is now in full service to the Lord, living at the temple with the high priest whose name is Eli. At this point, we read that Samuel is a young man. We don't know exactly what age that means, but he is a young man. And God calls out to Samuel three times. Each time, Samuel is confused, understandably so, because it's not very often that God speaks audibly, and so Samuel thinks that this is Eli calling to him, but it's not. It is God. By the fourth time, with Eli's help, Samuel finally understands that this is not Eli's voice, but that this is God himself speaking. And as God speaks to Samuel... You need to notice Samuel's humble posture, that is, as Samuel receives this call, this word from God, Samuel's humble disposition speak, Lord, for your servant hears. God, here, here I am. I'll do what you, you say. I'm listening. I'm yours, your will, your ways. Not mine. Notice as well that this very first call that Samuel has as a new prophet, this is not an easy call that Samuel has received. Samuel's very first job as a prophet in Israel is to go and tell his mentor, Eli, the high priest, the highest of the priests, to go tell Eli that Eli's house and Eli's lineage are going to soon be destroyed and brought to an end. This is not giving Samuel a very easy call. His very first call is to do something very difficult. There's no way for Samuel to be broken in or promoted or raised up in status here. No, this is a hard, difficult call as a first job. My very first job in life was back when I was in high school and I worked at Burger King. So I know, yes, very glamorous. I worked at Burger King. At, at, at Burger King, if you wanted to be the best of the best, you made the Whoppers. I had a Whopper far better than a Big Bang. That, That's That's the best job at Burger King is if you were the Whopper guy. Now, eventually, I I got that promotion. So I could make a Whopper in under a minute. It's the kind of skill that your pastor at Redeemer has, serious Whopper skills. But I, I had to work my way up. And so for my first summer, eight hours a day, I worked on the broiler. And so you would get the, the bun and you put it on the top and you put the frozen patty on the bottom. You put it in on the right side and then you would step over and you would take it out the other and you would put it in the warming department for compartment for uh, a few minutes until the Whopper guy got it. So that, that, that's, that's how usually it works. Usually you, you sort of cut your teeth on something very basic and then you get a promotion. But that in God's economy is not often how it works. No, Samuel is given the hardest job first. And again, I just love Samuel's humble disposition. Oh, God, I'm yours. I'm going to do it. And then he actually acts on this very difficult call. He obeys God and gives the hard word to Eli. Now, God does not speak audibly to us today. So the situation is a little bit different. You're not going to hear from God this afternoon the specifics of what you need to do with your life. No, God today works through His written Word, the Bible. When you are illumined with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, gives us ears to hear what God is saying in His Word. As you listen to the Spirit in accordance with the Word, that's an internal sense of call, and then you talk to your brothers and sisters in Christian community, and they would verify with you that, yes, it seems like God is illuminating the Scriptures in a special way in your life, and then you wait for the actual call to be acted upon. So it, it's, it's, it's not quite the exact same as what Samuel is doing here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But even still, even with some of the differences this side of the cross, even with some of the differences, Samuel is still a very good example of what it means to listen to God. When God calls you, are you willing to say, here I am, Lord, even if it is a very difficult thing to do? Do you share in his humble disposition? Lord, I am willing to listen and to obey. You see, what the church needs today, church around the world, the church needs more people that are willing to say, yes, Lord, I hear you, and I'm willing to do the difficult thing. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7,398 unreached people groups around the world. I think a lot of men and women that hear the hard voice of God and are willing to go to all these people groups. By unreached people groups, I'm not just talking about cities that have a lot of non-Christians. There's a lot of non-Christians in Detroit. Unreached means they are so unreached that even if somebody in one of those cities says, I want to become a Christian, there's not a single church, a single pastor that is there to tell them about the gospel. These are hard, difficult places. We need people that are going to hear the hard call of God and say, yes, I am willing to do it. Perhaps the call that God has placed in your life is not to go overseas but to join one of our church plants here in Metro Detroit. The call of God is often not into full-time vocational ministry. It's just the hard call of God, wherever you are in life, to do something risky and serious for him. To reach out to the difficult person, share the gospel. To forgive someone that has caused deep pain in your life. To really dig in and grind and sacrifice for the sake of the local church. God's call is not going to be the same for everyone. None of us here this morning are going to receive Samuel's call of going to the high priest and telling him that his house is about to be destroyed. I can guarantee none of you are going to do that because there aren't high priests anymore. So that is not going to be your call. But do you share in Samuel's attitude? God, I, I hear you. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it. Whether you're a pastor or a missionary or a teacher or a businessman or a businesswoman... As a mom, a dad, a plumber, a politician, do you hear the voice of God and say, Yes, I'm going to do it? The call that God has placed in each one of our lives it is not a uniform call. We're not looking for others to sacrifice in the same way that God has called us to sacrifice. If, if, if you're holding your call up as, as the model call that is going to lead, towards you being proud and being self-righteous. We ought not to compare how God has called us. But we need to share in this uniform conviction that we want to be like Samuel. Lord, in whatever ways I sense that I am being called, speak, Lord, your servant hears. That's point number one, second point. And this is really the most important part here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. What does it mean that God speaks to us Broadly and, and even bigger than that. What, what does it just mean that God speaks to His people? He, here's what I mean by this, and especially th- these two levels that I am talking about. As we go through 1 Samuel, and really as you study the entirety of the Bible, you need to understand the Scriptures on two different levels levels. And so, the first level of reading the Bible is the immediate focus of each story. So you, you do what we just did. What can I learn about my life from Samuel? or What can I learn about my life from Hannah or, or David or Noah or Deborah or Moses or, or Paul or Peter? You, you, you look at the immediate focus and you say, what can I learn for good? There's a lot of times when God's people make a lot of sinful mistakes, and so what can I learn not to do from the various characters and figures in the Bible? That is the first reading of the Bible. That is usually the easiest. It is the most simplistic, and it is absolutely appropriate. It is something that we ought to do. But if that is your only reading of the Bible, how can I be like Samuel, or how can I be unlike Eli and his sons, then the Bible is going to become a checklist of what you need to do, and the sermons especially are going to be very moralistic, which is based on you and your efforts. So you need this second reading of the Bible talk about this in the new membership class today. The the second reading of the Bible understands the main character in the Bible is God. It's His story. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, it is God's story of how He is going to redeem a people through His Word. And so at every story in the Bible, you need to certainly ask, well, what can this person teach me about myself? But even more so, you always need to be looking for what exactly is God doing here? What is God doing in 1 Samuel chapter 3? And what we see in this chapter is that God is starting to speak again. And so this lesser story of Samuel hearing is actually highlighting the much bigger purpose that God is going to speak to his people again. In these days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The people were not hearing from God. God has gone silent. It's actually a famine of God's word in Israel at this point. If you were to, to jump ahead to Amos chapter 8... Amos describes a famine in the land, and yet Amos says this famine that God's people are experiencing is not a famine of bread. It's not a famine of being thirsty for water, but it is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. The people aren't hearing from God. So, in the same way, There there, there might be a drought, or there might be disease, and so there's no food, and the people are suffering from hunger. There are periods in time when people suffer spiritually because they are not hearing from God. And this is one of those times in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the word of the Lord is rare. There is a famine. People are suffering because they are not hearing from God. Now, you need to understand that God's Word is very different than our words. So, I I will say to you right now, this afternoon, I am going to make a sandwich, or this upcoming week, I am going to mow my lawn. So, I am using my words to tell you something, but then I need my will to act on my words, This afternoon, as I make the sandwich or I mow the lawn. You see, my word doesn't actually accomplish anything. My word is separate from my actions. But God's word is very different. God's word is his active power. When God speaks, things happen. Think about how the world was made, Genesis chapter 1. God speaks and the world comes into existence. Or the dry bones in Ezekiel, God speaks and dry bones come to life. It's from John Frame. He writes, God accomplishes all His works by His powerful Word, creation, providence, judgment, and grace. My very good good friend, Kevin DeYoung, would always remind us at my old church that the Word of God is the work of God. The way that God works is that He speaks. we also know is that God's Word is His presence. So it's not just His power and His work, it is also His presence. So if you want to know God personally, you know God through His speech, through His Word. As Paul tells us in in, in, uh, 2 Timothy, that, that God's Word is His breath. It is the breath of God, it is the Word of God. That's how close God's Word is to being Himself. And so wherever God's Word is, there God is also. And wherever God is, there His Word is also. God's Word is His power and His presence. If we want to know God, we need His Word. And coming off of the period of the judges, because of the people's sins, God went silent and there's this spiritual famine in the land. There's no word. There's no knowing God. There's a spiritual famine. But what we see here is that God is gracious. So, beginning of the chapter, God's Word is rare. But then He speaks to Samuel. And then notice in verse 20, by the very end of this chapter, that Samuel is established as a prophet. A prophet is… The man that is given the very sobering responsibility of bringing God's word to the people. And so, what we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 is that God's word is going out. It's starting very small, it's rare, but by the end of the chapter, God's word is going out to the people. There's a crescendo here that what starts very quiet at the beginning is going to be very loud at the end. And that means that something big is about to happen. When God speaks, incredible things happen. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, is God's word is getting louder, it's actually paving the way for great renewal in Israel. Eli, his his prophetic ministry is, is, is crummy, it's terrible. That's going to come to an end. But here, Samuel is installed as a prophet. He is going to speak which means God, Aslan, is on the move. God is speaking. God is paving a way for revival. God, through His Word, is paving the way for the golden age of Israel and King David. If there is going to be spiritual renewal in Israel, if there is going to be this great king who leads a great kingdom that is bound by Kingdom ethics, all of it must start with God speaking. And that's what God is beginning to do here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. God is paving the way for revival by speaking. This is why, unapologetically, Redeemer's strategy for cultural renewal is always going to be church planting. We're going to raise up pastors to go to different cities that are going to preach the Word. Because the more that God's Word is brought to a culture, the more God's power and the more God's presence is brought about into that culture. God's way of bringing spiritual renewal is always through His Word. And that's why, really, just unapologetically, we say we're putting all our eggs in the church planting basket. That's where a lot of evangelicals are very confused today. Cultural renewal does not begin with legislation. Now, legislation might be secondarily helpful, but cultural renewal begins when there are those like Samuel that say, here I am, I am going to boldly bring God's Word, God's power and presence to the people from Charles Spurgeon. The Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. That's our cultural strategy, simply is we want to let the Word of God loose in the world. And God's work is through His Word. So that is our mission, to let God's Word out of the cage. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, yes, Samuel is faithful. He is a role model. He is worth following. But the emphasis here in chapter three is that God is beginning to speak again. He's been quiet, but now he is going to speak. And the rest of First Samuel is the story of what happens when God speaks. To be. Dagon, the, the foreign gods, will be brought to an end. There's going to be a king that, that is raised up. And Goliath and all sorts of wonderful things are going to happen because God speaks. And yet, like we have said almost every week in this sermon series, for as exciting as it begins here in 1 Samuel, we know that the same problem still exists that for as golden of an age as it is for Israel, that eventually, by the end of the Old Testament, the people of God have turned back into the man at Pastor Dan's old church. They're in the back of the room. God's speaking, and the people are just looking at the ceiling, drifting off into a daze. The people's ears are closed. And so again... God will go silent. For 400 years, at the close of the Old Testament, God doesn't speak. For 400 years, no one was able to say, thanks be to God, because God is speaking. So there is silence. So God needs to speak a more clear and permanent and final word. And it is in the middle of a very quiet Bethlehem night in the most humble of all places, a manger, surrounded by dirty animals and a virgin mom. Nobody is listening. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Yet because God is gracious, God spoke again. And this time… His word is not through the mouth of a prophet like Samuel. This time, God's word would actually take on flesh. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, Jesus is God's word in the flesh. So here's, here's what that means. If you want more of God's power, more of his work, more of his presence in your life, if you want to experience the true renewal that Israel was after in 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you want true spiritual vitality in your life, what you need is more of God's word. What you need is to know Jesus more. You see, Jesus is God's word in the flesh. Get to know him, get to know his word. God's clearest, God's final word is the speaking of the Son. Jesus is God's word. God's word and Jesus are one. This book, the Bible, is the means to knowing Jesus as a person more. And if you know Jesus, then you will know God. They all go together. And so give yourself to listening to God's word. Don't just check out God's word is his power and it is his presence. Listen to his word. This afternoon, I would encourage you when you get home to go onto the internet and Google the video of the Kimyal tribe of Papa Indonesia. I, I don't think there's probably a lot of videos about these people, but there's one video that would pop up and it is the video of them receiving their first copy of God's Word in their own language. Maybe about 10, 15 years ago when the translators finally got the New Testament done. And the video begins with, uh, there, there's an airplane circling above this, this mountain village. The plane lands, and it's just a, just a, a beautiful celebration. I mean, all the, all the men and women and children... They're out in the field, they're, they're singing, they're dancing, they're wearing their very traditional tribal clothing. The, the door of the plane opens and, and out comes copies of God's Word in their very own language. And the people start crying and they start singing even louder. And there's a, a local pastor that offers up a prayer. And then there's testimonies that these people's hearts are now free and full of light because they have the, the Bible in their own language. It is it's a real danger in a culture like ours. We have the Bible in English and, what, 30 different translations. Many of us have been in church for a long time. We sit through the liturgy, we hear God's word, and like, yeah, that's good, but let's move on to something else. It's just, it does. If we're not careful, it can become just routine religious formalism. But these people, for the first time, they get to hear God speak. And they're throwing a massive celebration. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us each Lord's Day is a festive day of rest. And these people are certainly throwing a festival because they have God's Word brought to them. (coughs) God has spoken to you as an individual. God has spoken to us as a people. Don't take it for granted. There have been periods of times, there are countries Like 1 Samuel, when the word of the Lord is rare, when people do not hear from God. But thanks be to God that we do not live in that time. God has spoken to us. He's given us his word, which is clear and sufficient. God's word is his power, his presence, most clear of all. God has spoken to us a word of grace through the gospel of his Son. May we never be the guy from dance church just checking out the ceiling as God's Word is being preached and sung and unpacked exegetically each Sunday morning. May we never be so bored with God's Word that it just becomes a tradition or formalism. No, may we every single Sunday and throughout the week as we hear from God in His Word, every time it is read, every time it is preached, may we always say, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you that we do not live in Samuel's time when the word of the Lord was rare. You have given us the scriptures. You have given us the Bible in our language in so many different translations. You have given us a church where it's preached and taught. You have given us your son, Jesus, word of God in the flesh. Oh, Father, we give you thanks that your word is not rare. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.